Well, good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. Good morning. Good to see all of you today. Well, today we're going to be in Psalm 131, but before we read it, I'd like to pray for us real quick. So if you can, bow your head with me. God, we thank you so much that we can gather together for church every Sunday. We thank you so much that we can learn more about you, come to believe in more, you more and trust in you more. I pray, God, that as we look at Psalm 131, even though it's one of the shortest psalms that we have, God, I think of Charles Spurgeon, who said it's one of the longest psalms to learn, God. So I pray, God, that you would help us to really focus on what you have to say for us today. Please speak through me. I pray that everybody who speaks would speak as if speaking the words of Christ. But God, I know uh, that as we listen to your words, your Holy Spirit helps us and guides us in understanding. So I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would guide us into deeper and better understanding so that we can know you more, love you more, because you know us and you love us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so like I said, we're in Psalm 131. So this is a psalm of David. So we have a psalm that David has written. And like I said, it's very short. It's only three verses long. So let's dig into it. Psalm 131. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So to start, I want to do a little experiment with all of you, if you're okay with doing an experiment with me. So let's start the experiment this way. Everybody, slowly work your face into a smile. Slowly work your face into a smile. Okay, and just hold it there for a little while. How did that make you feel? Good. It made you feel happy, didn't it? Now let's slowly work our face into a frown. Yeah. And how does that feel compared to what you just did? Not as good. It made you probably feel a little bit sad, especially if you hold it there for a long time. Now, sometimes we let our moods decide if we're going to smile. I'll smile if I feel happy. Sometimes we wait to smile, but what's interesting and what experts teach us is that many times smiling can make us happy. Frowning can make us sad. In other words, what you do has an effect on you, which we don't really realize that a lot of times. We don't really give ourselves enough credit for how much we affect ourselves. But in the same way that slowly working your face into a smile made you feel happy in the same way that slowly working your face into a frown probably made you feel 
sad. In the same way, worship, which is what we're talking about today, worship has an effect on you. Worship affects you in the same way. Now, we often think of worship as just primarily for God. Worship just has an effect on God, and that's all that worship is for. Now, that's primarily what worship is for. Primarily, worship is for God. But we're kidding ourselves if we think worship has no effect on us at all. And we even see that with Psalm 131. We see David talking about how his soul has been affected by worship. So you might say, well, that's a stretch, Cody. I didn't see the word worship in Psalm 131. David never said worship. But what are the Psalms? They're worship songs. They're worship prayers. David is writing a song to sing as worship. And as he's worshiping, he's describing the effect that it has had on him. What is the effect that worship has had on David? Well, David says, the effect that worship has had on me is that it has calmed me and it has quieted me. It has calmed my soul. It has quieted my soul. But how does it do that? How does worship calm our soul? How does worship quiet our soul? How is that even possible? Well, the first thing that we see worship doing to us or at least for David, is worship changes our focus. Worship changes what we focus on. Now, we see that in verse 1. What does David say? He says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now, as far as eyes not being raised up, we talked about that last weekend. Why are his eyes not raised up? Well, because he knows that he's not God. There are certain things that he can't understand that God understands. There are certain things that he can't do that only God can do. Now, when we read this, we might think that David is saying, God, I don't think about difficult stuff anymore. I don't think about hard stuff anymore. I don't have worries. I don't have fear. I don't have anxiety. No, David is not saying that. Of course David has fears, anxieties, difficult questions. I mean, one way we know that is because we see them plastered all throughout the Psalms. David writes over and over his fears, his anxieties, his worries. But also, David, even though he has those worries and fears and anxieties, he does not dwell on them. So if anybody has a reason to dwell on them, it's David. I mean, he's the king of Israel. He has to look over an entire nation. He has probably a better excuse than we have for worrying. But he says, I do not keep my mind on things that are too marvelous for me or too great for me. So what is he saying? He's not saying, I don't have worries. I don't have fears. He's saying, I don't let those worries and fears consume me. I don't let them take over, hijack my life. It's not that they don't exist, but it's that when I worship, they become a lot smaller, and God becomes a lot bigger because my focus is changed from those great big things that don't care about me 
to the greater and bigger thing that actually does care about me. It reminds me of Henry, Henry Nouwen. I don't know if you've ever heard of Henry Nouwen before, but Henry Nouwen, he described when he got to meet uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And when he got to meet Mother Teresa, he had all of these worries. He had all of these problems in his life. And so he went to Mother Teresa, and he spent 10 minutes telling her, Mother Teresa, this is what's wrong in my life. This is all of my worries and problems. And after the 10 minutes were over that he had spoken to Mother Teresa, spilled all of this out to her, she said, Henry, spend one hour a day adoring the Lord and do no wrong, and you will be fine. Now Henry said, he realized he was asking a question from below and expecting an answer from below. But really, what he got was an answer from above. Henry realized that he got the answer that he needed to hear. He said that that answer was like lightning flashing from heaven. What did Henry realize? He had so many worries, and yet he was not making a habit of worship. Now, I'm not saying you have to worship for an hour every day. That was what Mother Teresa suggested to Henry. But the heart of what she's saying still applies to us, even if we don't choose to do it for an hour a day. You may say, oh, well, I worship once a week. That's good. But what she was saying wasn't stop worshiping at church. No, she was saying worship at church, but worship alone, too. Carve out time every day. Write it on your calendar. Schedule it. Whatever you have to do, even if it's not every day, every other day. Find ways to every day focusing on God, worshiping God. Now, that can look a whole lot of different ways. That can look like praying the Psalms. That can look like just praying or journaling or listening to worship music or singing your own worship music. There are so many different ways to worship God. It's not important that we all worship the exact same way or the amount, same amount of time. What's important is that we become intentional about worshiping because we're always thinking about what could go wrong. But the best cure for worry is not more worry. And the best cure is not to just stop worrying. No, the best cure is to replace worry with worship. Think about Jesus when he said, why do you worry about tomorrow? We think that Jesus just said, stop worrying. Jesus told the people, stop worrying. No, that's not what Jesus said. He did confront their worry. He did say, why do you worry about tomorrow? But he also said, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. Does your father take care of them? What was he doing? Jesus was adjusting their focus. Jesus was trying to replace their worry with worship. He was trying to get them to see God rather than only seeing the problems that they had. And that is what we do when we worship, when we take the time, when we make time to worship. We see Jesus making the time. In the book of Mark, it says Jesus rose up early in the morning while it was still dark to go and pray. In other words, to worship we can make time to worship, or we can always worry. 
You don't have to worship, but don't be surprised if you're always worried if you do not worship. So worship changes our focus. But what else does worship do? Worship changes our posture. It changes our posture. And what do I mean by that? Well, David's posture has certainly been changed in verse 2. What does he say? He says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So David says, I'm now like a weaned child. What does that mean? He's saying, I'm content now. My soul is calmed and quieted. So when a child is weaned, yeah, they're content. But is the weaning process calm and content? No. During the weaning process, a child is angry and crying and sad because why? It's being taught to stop depending on what it thought it had to depend on. Now David said, I thought I had to depend on all of my worries, all of my fears, all of these things that were too great and marvelous for me. But God, now that I'm worshiping, my soul is like a weaned child. All of these things that I thought I needed to depend on, I'm realizing I don't need to depend on them anymore. All I need is what I have when I worship. And what I have when I worship is God. I can be content. David says, I'm content. My posture has changed from that to, of a screaming, crying child to a calm and quiet, content child. Don't you notice how his posture has changed from worship? I think back to when I was in college, there was a girl who told me something that I thought was kind of weird when she told me it. She said, yeah, when I go to bed every night, I like to take my Bible with me and hold on to it while I sleep. And I thought, that's nice and weird, but okay, whatever works for you. Uh, it took me a while to realize what she was doing. She was worshiping. Now, what is worship? To worship something is to ascribe your highest value to something. Now, at night, when her fears and worries were loud in her ears, what did she do? She took God's words to her, and she said, I'm not going to assign my highest value to my worries. No, I'm going to assign my highest value to what God has said to me. You know, it's been said before that the Bible, 66 books in here, the Bible is 66 love letters from God. She chose every night to hold on to all 66 love letters from God. And that was an act of worship by her. Rather than listening to the loud voices of her fears and worries, you know, she chose to be content. Why? Well, what does the book of Hebrews say? Or what does the book of Hebrews say? It's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Be content with what you have, for God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That is why she could be so content when she went to sleep. Because a lot of times we go to sleep, a lot of times we lay in bed thinking, I'm going to lose friends. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose money. This is going to go wrong. I'm going to lose this or that. But when we worship the Lord, what happens? 
we realize, when our posture changes, we realize that God will never, ever leave us. You know, her posture changed in bed from lying down fearful to holding on to her Bible. David's posture changed from an angry, screaming child to a content, calmed, and quieted child. And our posture changes when we worship the Lord. Only by worshiping the Lord can we become calmed, quieted in our souls. Only then can we be content. If we want to experience that, that's great. But Hebrews doesn't just say, be content with what you have. It says, be content with what you have because God has you. Because God loves you. Now, David, in verse 3, he's given us the what. In verses 1 through 2, he's given us the what. But now in verse 3, he's giving us the why. He's given us the what, but he doesn't... Imagine if David just stopped after verse 2. He would say, that's great, you've called and quieted your soul. It's great that you have changed your mindset about things too great for you. But how are you doing that? Well, he gives us the reason why he's able to do that. And he says in verse 3, O Israel, in other words, O people of God, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Now that word hope, when we look at the Hebrew word, it could also mean wait. David is saying, people of God, wait for the Lord. Put your hope in him. And that's what we're doing when we worship. We're putting our hope in the Lord. We're waiting on the Lord. In other words, we're saying, God, it's not all on me. No, I'm leaning on you. I'm trusting in you to save me, to help me, to protect me, to do what only you can do. I'm not going about life trying to fix everything. No, I'm resting in your work. That doesn't mean I sit on my couch all day, but it also means, yeah, it is fun to sit on your couch, but God calls us to go out leaning on him, like we sing in our worship song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. We're not leaning back, we're leaning forward onto God. So David says, I'm waiting for the Lord. I'm putting my hope in the Lord. Now, what exactly is David waiting for? He's waiting for God to save and help his people. Now, when we worship things that aren't God, what does that become? It becomes an idol. Idols are anything that we ascribe ultimate value to that's not God. But in Psalm 115, when you look at that, how does it describe idols? It says they have hands, but they can't touch. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have legs, but they can't walk. They're dead. They're not alive. But when we look at 1 John, how does John describe Jesus? He says, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have touched with our hands, that which we have heard with our ears. Do you notice the difference between Jesus and the idols? Idols are dead, but Jesus is alive. Now, when we give our lives to our worries, 
We spend our lives giving our highest value to things that can't save us, can't help us. No wonder we're miserable. We've submitted our lives to dead idols. But worship of God invites us to place our trust in a living God. It invites us to put our hope in a living God. Because God is alive. First Peter says, in Christ you have been invited into a living hope. When we realize that Jesus is alive, we realize that Jesus is what David was waiting for. Jesus is what David was ultimately putting his hope in all along. Now David could worship the Lord. In other words, he could change his focus to the Lord. Why? Because he had to? No, because he realized that God focuses on me. David could change his posture to the Lord. But only because he realized that God had shown his posture to him. And what is God's posture to us? We see God's posture towards us on the cross. Jesus goes from from being with the Father and his posture becomes hanging on the cross, suffocating, trying to lift himself up for air. On the cross, Jesus shows us that God focuses on us. I mean, he's literally looking at us from the cross. He's literally changing his posture towards us on the cross and showing us where his focus is, showing us where his posture is, and that is why we can change our focus. That's why we can change our posture. So many times, worship becomes something that we have to do. I have to go to church and worship God. I have to go and worship God for an hour every day. I have to. No, you don't have to. No, you get to. You get to worship God. You get to change your focus to the one who is focused on you. You get to change your posture to the one who has shown his posture towards you on the cross. You cannot adequately and rightly adore God unless you realize how much God adores you. Once you see how loved and cared for you are by God on the cross, once you look at Jesus and see his hands and his feet and his side, then you can say, my worries are so small compared to that. They don't even come close to comparing to that. Why am I spending my whole life in fear when my hope is not dead in a tomb, but alive and with me always? David said, people of God, hope in the Lord. Not just now, not just tomorrow, but forever. And that's the good news. We can hope in the Lord. We can worship the Lord. Because our Lord is alive. He listens to us. He's not a dead idol who can't hear. No, he's a living God who made us and made us for himself and made us to spend time with him and worship. And when we worship the Lord, the things that we are afraid of, are worried about, they're still there. But they're a lot smaller than they used to be. The ultimate solution to worry is worship. 
And I promise you, when you make worship a priority, you will see dramatic changes in your life. Even in my life. It's amazing how just spending 30 minutes of reading psalms out loud, singing worship music to God, writing prayers to God, it totally changes everything. Why? Because it's changed my focus. It's changed my posture. It's invited me in to the one who's invited me towards him. So yes, we do have worries, we do have fears, but when we worship, we change our focus towards God, who is so much greater, so much bigger than anything else we could ever be concerned about or afraid of. And that is what we can do together as a church, and that is what we can do when we go home, wherever we are, we can always worship. We can always assign the highest value to God because in Jesus we have seen how valued we are to God. Let's pray. God, we are so overwhelmed and thankful that we have a God who has not abandoned us, has not left us, but a God who died for us, a God who gave up his life for us, who gave up his very own son for us, God. God, that is the heart of our worship. Now, there are some days when we don't feel like worshiping God, but I pray, God, that we would remember our feelings are great liars. We shouldn't always trust our feelings because if we always trusted them, we would never go to work. We would never do anything that we didn't feel like doing. But God, when you invite us into worship, we start to realize that you love us, that you care for us. And God, if we don't feel like worshiping, I pray, God, that we would make a commitment to it anyways, and that we would develop it into a habit. And out of that habit, even just one day, God, multiplied by 365 is a year. And multiply that throughout a lifetime, God. That's an amazing difference in our lives to go from worrying all day to worshiping all day. God, we want to worship you and assign our highest value to you, to bow down before you and change our posture towards you, God, because you have focused yourself on us. You have changed your posture towards us. And we love you and we're so grateful for you, God. Thank you so much that we can worship together in spirit and in truth. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.